Hello, everyone. This is Jonathan, the executive producer of The Lojo Show. Just wanted to tell everyone to stay on after the podcast for a few quick announcements. Thanks. Welcome to The Lojo Show. It's all right. I'll get better at it. Should I just say it? There is no monopoly on good ideas when it comes to cybersecurity. Hello, and welcome to The Lojo Show. We have a great show planned for you all today and are very excited to have on our very first guest, Nicholas Jelaine. Nicholas just recently resigned from his position of the first chief software officer for the U.S. Air Force and Space Force. We are excited to have him on and get his perspective on all things artificial intelligence and the future of innovation within the Department of Defense and to keep pace with China and other world powers. All right. Hi, Nicholas. Hey, how are Nicholas, you? How are you? Oh, doing good great to today. Camera. Doing great. Uh, your sound sounds really good. Uh, so, Nicholas, welcome to the show. Um, just kind of starting out, uh, would you give us just a quick background as far as prior to you joining the, the federal government or the DOD, uh, what your background is for our listeners? Of course. Yeah, and thanks for having me. Uh, excited to be here. Um, well, I started back in France, as you can tell with my accent. I moved to the U.S. about 11 years ago, but I started at, at uh, really at 15, created my first company. I was part of the team that, that helped create PHP. I was 14, 15, I created my company. We grew it to um, uh, 12, 12 countries. We ended up um, creating 12 companies over the last 20 years. So I sold uh, 12 companies and uh, around you know, cyber, software, innovation. Um, and then you know started DHS after selling my my 11th company, I wanted to make a difference. It was the time where the, the Paris attacks were going on and ISIS uh, terrorist attacks. And so we, um, uh, we I started at DHS as a chief architect and special advisor uh, for cyber and kind of push zero trust and a lot of the uh, best best practices in cyber for critical infrastructure and all the, the .gov side of the house. And then I um, ended up uh, staying for 18 months for my appointment and uh, took uh, uh, sold my 12th company to Qualys, where I was the uh, the, the, the CTO at Qualys, um, publicly traded company. And then I got a call to come and help the Department of Defense, where I became the uh, special advisor for cyber and DevSecOps. Um, and, and, you know, based on the success uh, of the DevSecOps initiative and all the work we're doing, uh, in DoD, we, we ended up creating the chief software office, and I became the first chief software officer for the Air Force and Space Force. That is a very unique background, in particular for someone that has moved into the Department of Defense, and uh, uh, definitely as far as uh, one being able to start up and build and sell companies from that end. So, uh, one is uh, you know to our to our listeners out there that. Nicholas is actually very much so unique in this situation here. When you talk about some of the uh, executives and leaders and stuff within our uh, DOD and technology, as well as in cybersecurity and software, this is unique. And so one of the things that I wanted to dive into right off the bat was when you kind of first walked into this position, into this position, knowing that you've already been with the DHS, you know, from there, what were some of the things that you said definitely made you feel out of water in some cases of, you know what, this is different. I'm going to have to take a step back and do this one step at a time. What were some of the first things that you just said, whoa, <laughs> stop, yeah. let's start over here. 
Well, you know, I wish I, I spent more time trying to understand a little bit better where, where people were coming from. It's kind of um, one of the things I could have improved. I was kind of thrown into the the water without a, a lot of background on, on the military and how things work. And despite my time at DHS, I can tell you it's a very different beast. And and I, you know, I, I was uh, vastly unprepared, I guess, um, unfortunately. Um, you know, I remember this this one of the very first meeting I attended where you end up in a room with way too many people that that doesn't exist on the commercial side. You end up, you know, with uh, with at least 50 people, you know, both at the table, around the table and so on. And um, that meeting was uh, the swap study. That was the software study that uh, was supposed to uh, help uh, DOD move to agile. And uh, I remember hearing people and, and they, they, you know, a lot of them would use the right buzzwords and and I remember thinking, hmm, that, that doesn't just sound very right. It doesn't feel like they know what they're talking about. And so, you know, you're supposed to be in this room of leaders that um, will enable the move to Agile. And so at some point, I, <laughs> I decided to um, to ask a question that probably didn't create a lot of uh, friends in the in the building when I said, hey, you know, but, but who is here even implemented Agile in actual projects? And, and you know, they, I raised my hand, of course, and and uh, you know, only one person of fifty plus raised their hands, and I was like, so so what are we doing here? Like, what why are we expecting people that have never done this before to do it for the largest organization on the planet? That doesn't sound like a good idea, and it it doesn't. But you know, it's not those people's fault. They're trying to do the best they can, right? But but the fact is, it's complete nonsense, right? And so maybe some people understood that was pretty right, but it doesn't mean it was the right thing to say. So that was a good a good first step into the the nonsense of bureaucracy. And and honestly, the the building is designed around this, where where you see like the director of AI all the way to cloud and and pick your poison, effectively have zero background in the subject matter that they're supposed to lead because we believe that it's just about leading and managing people when. When you know it's not that true, right? Um, just like they would not let me fly a jet uh, with good reason, uh, I would probably not let someone that's never even uh, had a you know uh, a cloud for their own personal use run the uh, the largest cloud on the planet for four million people. That's probably not a good idea. No, and, and to that point, you know, my my background has been as a DoD contractor as well as as a uh, uh, commercial. I, I was a federal government for all of uh, six months when I first came out of school, and uh, <laughs> I I you know, someone said to me, he's like, one day you could have the big cubicle at the end of the row, and uh, I think it was on that day where I said, I'm gonna go at this moment. <laughs> I'm gonna. I think I'm. I think, I think I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna leave. But to, to that point, you know, one of the things that I've always had thrown up when when we when we're working on when we were looking at how you transition you know from your traditional waterfall or whatever hybrid you were using to agile and we always got this this comment back hey this is reliability based engineering right and the approach mm -hmm. that we want to take and that's why we we so stick to the uh to the waterfall and stuff there but one of the things that we find is that we fall behind in timelines in that uh, especially if you want to go and begin to use things like rapid prototyping, right? And, and moving mm -hmm. into that phase and being able to develop through, you know, your DevOps and, you know, securing through DevSecOps and stuff too of those programs. Uh, and then with that said, as you look at the current structure, 
you know, of Pentagon as well as then when we get down to like the other echelon twos and echelon, you know, threes and stuff too, that are, you know, have acquisition activities and stuff too, and trying to build really the future there. Um, how, what do you think is going to probably hinder us the most as we try to innovate very quickly and move into the age of, you know, using and adapting artificial intelligence, looking at what's going on within hypersonics and stuff at this point, even just trying to do the, uh, the acquisition of those things. What are some of the things that you see that's kind of top three that will hold us back the most based on the current structure? Yeah, you know, what's very interesting is, unfortunately, we don't have most of the basics of life to even think about AI, right? When you don't have a data lake, you don't have zero trust, you don't have rapid prototyping capabilities, you stuck in time, you know, you, you don't have the acquisition principles to even understand agile and end-to-end -end agile, not water agile full, you know. So I think when I look at the key steps to to solve this, right, there's there's a few. One is, um, you know, really embracing agile, end-to-end -end agile, not just agile um, in the software development, but really all the way to acquisition and contracting, buying capacity of work, training people, you know, there's such a massive lack of, of understanding of what Agile is. You know, uh, when I say 22 years ago, uh, I was already using Agile. And uh, yet, uh, 22 years later, you know, the department is still using Waterfall uh, as a default, right? Uh, so we need to move away from that. You know, that, that, that implies also that Congress will change the way we fund things a little bit to some degree. Um, you know, they, there's a lot of pilots with a, the single color of money for software and a lot of different things that, that are important there. Um, but also like just pure training, right? People, leaders and people understanding what agile means, you know, and uh, what what is the capacity of work? How do you how do you groom your backlog? How do you prioritize work and how do you continuously deliver it in, in the hands of the warfighter? in small increments and and it's not about moving fast and tripping down and not being able to stand back up that's that's just the wrong understanding of agile because you do incremental delivery you should not fall down and not be able to stand back up you should be able to uh, you know deliver small pieces incrementally and <coughs> you know demonstrate that you bring value tangible value to the wall fighter and whether or not you're you're going to the right direction so it's it's all about um <clears throat> you know kind of getting the data to be able to measure efficacy, right? Yep. That's step one. Um, step two will be, you know, um, kind of investing in our people. You know, I was giving an hour a day to my people to learn first to catch up and then learn. So I think that's very important. Self self learning with a velocity and pace of IT. You don't have a choice. You you have to uh, embrace uh, learning. If people don't like learning, they should probably not be in IT. Um, you know, you used to be able to get away with five, 10 year cycles. Now it's much, much faster than that. You can be obsolete in a year. So you, you have to invest in yourself and you have to do that, whether or not the company you work for, the organization you work for is doing it for you or with you. It doesn't really matter. Um, but obviously the department should, should empower that and, uh, invest seriously in, in the workforce and create, you know, software career path cloud, you know, uh, data scientists and have a progression of pay and title and uh, keep people excited, you know, back to your point on the cubicle stuff, right? I think it's it's important to see the progression and, uh, you know, uh, room for improvement, but also the mission, you know, being so important as well. So um, 
so that's kind of you know the, the second piece and the, the third piece is kind of breaking the silos and really uh creating joint teams to solve some of the basics of life i was talking about you know you can get to ai if you don't have a data fabric if you don't have proper connectivity transport mesh with uh, 5g satellite mm-hmm. uh fiber right um so you want to bring all these things together into a centralized office i mean some people talk about this uh, but this uh, is just not staff and um not embracing the agile mm-hmm. principles you know picking a single prime to run things we never did that you know at platform one we always had uh, multiple companies and the government being the integrator uh and the companies uh bringing diversity of opinions and uh, you know and off uh, of options as well so you want to have that diversity you want to have that uh um ability not to get locked in right to a single company but you want to have a joint team and, and merge your government talent and stop you know navy air force uh and, and army reinventing the wheel and wasting taxpayer money when it comes to cloud and you know transport and basics of of it right you want to you want to be able to build on top of that and, and that's where the services should be focused on the top where uh you actually bring tangible value to the world fighter uh with tangible outcomes the, these other things are just enabler uh you know of 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 work uh devsecops cloud you know uh AI ML, uh, data fabric, all these things, right? That should be enterprise funded and, and centrally managed. I think one of the one of the keys uh, here is this, you know, in uh, our listeners a lot, we have a heavy amount of folks that are from the aerospace and defense industry and those that are also prime contractors and stuff out there. And I think one of the things we all know is is the difficulty and the painstaking time that it takes to actually get a government computer or a laptop and get it to work, as mm-hmm. well as even within there to be able to, to 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 work together. And then least of all is this, is that you have this environment that is very much so fragmented, in which case you can't reuse the data that you have because of the different walls need to know and everything else that's there. Um, those tend to those tend to cascade at this point um, from my from my perspective into really uh, becoming you know uh, areas of uh, of concern when we start talking about being able to use AI or even be, even be able to apply things like machine learning and stuff to large amounts of data sets and stuff too from that end uh, to, to you know begin to kind of push things forward in, uh, in government there um, when you look at let's say the artificial intelligence you know apparatus that we possibly could have, we get to see that in our commercial life every day uh, to what that means for uh, military applications or uh, really, you know, pushing our, our, our military DOD and government forward there. Uh, how would you kind of describe that dichotomy, what you have on the, on the, on the commercial side versus on the uh, DOD side? And what is it that we, they should be taking from that commercial side at this point to help in opening that up is it more administrative or is it just or is it more technical or is it a combination of both at this point what, what are your thoughts on that it's a little bit of everything right i think the the culture and the urgent lack of urgency and lack of and the complacency right mm-hmm. of um of you know um allegedly winning winning wars although i'm not sure we feel that way after Afghanistan, the debacle in afghanistan yeah. Uh, but you know, I, I think you know people. Unfortunately, still to this day, when you when you hear us call China a near peer adversary, and you 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 see uh, you know Sputnik moments like the hypersonic launches and and different things that China is doing in Russia, 
and we keep dismissing them as almost Sputnik moment and oh it's 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 it's, it's not it's not as big of a deal as as we we should um uh describe them to be uh that that, that is very concerning because you you keep uh creating this vicious cycle of, of lack of urgency and and companies don't do that when you compete on the market that um where you see you know companies like blockbuster and kodak and others right uh miss the boat and and and, and disappear to some degree um or, or completely um and, and so companies don't have that luxury you know the, the government and the taxpayer feel good about the fact that we spend more money in the defense than than most country many countries combined but they fail to realize that uh, i i believe we only get uh, 10 cents on the dollar on on return on investment because of the waste and 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 the bureaucracy and, and the nightmare that is uh you know the, the the acquisition process of of the u.s government um in fact you know when i estimated work coming from the commercial side doing this for 20 years very very well um i would say Yo, you know that's only you know 50k or 100k or whatever right and, and then you 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 realize when you get the bids that you're you're 10x 10x cheaper because the uh, the companies have all this additional burden and you're also stuck in the in the DoD bubble uh, of tenants, right? With because of clearances and different things, and it's really designed to make it so there's uh, less competition compared to the the broader uh, commercial side. I always remember when people say in DoD. I remember some of my first meetings. People say industry. You know, the term industry for me meant you know all of the commercial companies. But for the most of the government officials, that meant the defense industrial base, a tiny, tiny portion, vacuum portion of, of companies, often with uh, very subpar expertise in AI, cyber, and, and software. Um, um, and that is concerning when you're limited uh, and you don't have access to best of breed of everything, right? Yep. Absolutely. And until that point, um, you know, and my background is also in, in consulting and professional services. So speaking with, uh, you know, C-suite, CISO, CIO, CTOs as well within that, you know, within commercial, you know, industry. And I, I always notice a, a difference as far as in some of our, you know, in those discussions whenever I transition and begin working with DOD. And that is, um, while I can have a technical conversation with a lot of our CIOs and CTOs and and uh, and, and, and CISOs even uh, in commercial that is not a conversation that goes very well when I try to transition that <laughs> over to uh, the DOD or to DOD leadership. And I understand why. I understand that, you know, as far as in the structure there and what the commanding officer is within different areas and, and things, I, I understand that portion. But I find it to be a hindrance when you've got to walk down the line of three other subcontractors and several other CETA contractors, and then also a uh, FFRDC in order to get an answer about a very simple systems mm -hmm. administration <laughs> type of issue yeah. that you might have in that area. And that's that's the scary part to me when I look at yeah. how are we prepared, right? No, I mean, you know, what's scary, right, is is you, you and I understand why doesn't mean it's um, the right thing to do right mm -hmm. uh i would argue it's not and we have to stop doing this just like they would not let me fly a jet uh or manage uh you know a team of pilots and they shouldn't because i know nothing about it uh they should not think of it and, and innovation and tech as uh just putting uh you know 
uh, one, two, three star general or colonel or whatever in charge of, of a team just because it's just management of people. It's not just management of people. You have to understand the subject matter to a lot of degrees, if not be an expert in it, but at the very least understand enough. Um, and, and that's by far not the case. You look at who, who we put in play, in charge of AI in Jake and, and they are good people, right? I have nothing against the, the people, but you know, a three-star general with zero background in tech leading Jake is probably not a good idea, right? And you would never see Google, you know, interview for uh, their cloud uh, CEO to 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 uh, to pick someone that that has never even run a uh, you know a small data center in their basement, right? That that's probably not something they would do. Uh, and yet, you know, we put in charge people of clouds that have never even um, done anything with cloud. And now we want to do it for the most complex, largest organization on the planet with a, the, the largest uh, cyber risk and security risk. And and we think it's going to succeed. How again? You know, how 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 are we putting uh, the right things on the table for this to even succeed? It's, it's already the I mean, if I didn't have the background I had for some of the successes I brought to DoD because of my previous experience, I would have no chance ever to succeed uh, bringing this to life um, because you're, 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 trying, you're dealing with the, the largest and most complex and, and siloed and, and vacuum organization on the planet, you know? So you need to bring, uh, you need to compensate that by, by having people not with degrees. It's not, I don't have a degree, but I'm not saying that because I don't have a degree. I think it's, it's about experience more so than, you know, uh, checking boxes, right? Yep. Yeah, it, it, it is. And, you know, I, I think to that point, when we, you know, when we look at uh, really how you expand from not just innovation standpoint, but, you know, kind of, of course, the security discussion is always very important uh, within that. But I can tell you just over the last year and having discussions and stuff with even like the, uh, uh, with uh, with the army over zero trust and in particular the, trying to define what is really a software defined network versus a cloud mm-hmm. network uh, <laughs> uh, that that was there and going through that discussion and then trying to kind of meddle through whether you need to deploy you know things like network access control or mission control uh, and that should that be agent or agent list or in going through those discussions at its rudimentary level uh, when you're trying to do an acquisition within two to three weeks with whatever fallout funding or whichever from that end, these are some of the discussions that are being had and you just don't have the right people in the room to, to, to have that. And I think that that's kind of still a microcosm of some of the things that are going on because what they wanted to do is say, hey, we wanted to beat the Navy at this <laughs> in order to mm. you know deploy what it is they wanted to deploy. And I'm talking in generalities because I don't want to discuss the, sure. the, the material <laughs> impact or the material you know uh, uh, contract and stuff for that. But these are some of the things that I think really from let's say a citizen standpoint uh, out there that's not had any entry within the dod don't necessarily understand as far as even with you know with your post and starting to really kind of bring this to light that this is not just a one-off problem or one-off issue it is definitely you know tied into the culture and stuff that you have from a military standpoint and what at some point has to evolve in order to want to 
keep pace with um, you know with the developments of uh, innovations in AI, hypersonics, even things like smart factories at this point that are aerospace defense and, and defense industrial based are starting to try to integrate in order to one produce faster, produce cheaper, and to be able to get you know those innovations to market a little bit quicker too uh, at this point. Um, and, you know, I, I never understood why we compete against ourselves when really mm -hmm. we should be competing against China and Russia. I, I, I was always very concerned when I heard people say that and it's it's very short-sighted and it's it's a luxury we don't have, you know, so and, and taxpayer wouldn't wouldn't stand by that. You know, that's kind of a disgrace. Right. No, it does, it because it's the paradigm has shifted, right? <clears throat> You used to have the, you know, you used to have a, a moment where you had the Navy and the Air, the Navy and the Air Force, uh, vying to create the next generation fighter jet, right, and vying to have that as their, you know, as their principal, you know, foundational piece. Which, in some cases, granted, gave some good competition to the industrial base that was competing within those areas. But when we get to something that's more in the cyber realm, and it's more so in uh, software and developing solutions for one the new you know battlefield that's out there um, it doesn't really work in that way it's not hey everybody go to your different corners and create something we might be able to use it it's hey the innovation that we need at this point in time has to tie together one to have an operational military around one that's prepared ready able to share information very quickly with one another and able to really you know um you know isolate where the threats really are right whether those are economic threats and stuff from there uh, whether that's to our private industry or a military threat from there too these are all the things that uh, now come into play that do not play very well to the different um, stovepipes that we have, you know, across the board at this point. Uh, no doubt, no doubt. Yeah, yeah and, and and the next the next battles and worlds will be won by software defined means. So so it's even more scary because that's that's going to be the next edge and the next way to uh, differentiate and, and maybe the difference between winning and losing. So uh, we don't have the luxury of of time, you know. So. Oh, no, we don't. And uh, I, I think the last two weeks, even with some of the releases of where some other countries are at this point and things like quantum computing, uh, to me, really kind of kind of jogs me, you know, but quite harsh, because the thing is, is that uh, if we're getting led as far as in the quantum computing area and really the idea from a you know cybersecurity standpoint is to make it as expensive and as complicated as possible to um you know turn our resources against us or to be able to get passwords or to get able to um you know compromise you know systems there and you're now able to use quantum computing and those components against us as far as with those data sets that they've collected over the years this becomes a big issue you know things with <laughs> say old hashes and everything else that uh, that come to play and i'm simplifying that but these are areas that we would normally expect that our military was ahead on, you know, things like yeah. DARPA and areas there. And quite frankly, we're just not there. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, DARPA has, has now become so afraid of failing that, uh, you know, it's, it's unable to to innovate when you compare with the ALPA days of World War II. You know, it's it's a night and day comparison, you know, and um, the, the velocity and the pace of DARPA is way too slow. Um, they, they keep saying they're looking far ahead, but they're moving so slow that it's not that far ahead. Um, and they can deliver in production in the hands of the world fighter rapidly so that the cycle is completely wrong. It's done in vacuum in labs by PhDs that are looking for their cushy job for the next five years. That's not, that's not the kind of urgency we need to deliver capabilities to the world fighter. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
So with this, we've discussed a lot of things about one kind of the, the data. Uh, we've talked about some of the nuances that we see in the bureaucracies that are formed within our, you know, within our DOD and areas there. But one of the things that uh, I've definitely been a, a fan of as well as uh, trying to you know, move forward in and implementing with our clients and customers is, is zero trust. And I know this is this is the area that you've spent quite a bit of time in and, and really kind of leading the way on that. Um, for our folks that haven't been really involved as far as understanding that within the DOD, uh, zero trust, would you give us just an overview of uh, your perspective on how zero trust, what zero trust is, uh, how it's being applied uh, right now, and what is the future of its application as well within um, within DOD, but also within even our you know, own personal lives at this point? Yeah, so zero trust is kind of the shift in in mindset that, that unfortunately goes initially completely against uh, all the principle of of the DOD when it comes to permits of defense, right? There's this whole notion of zero trust as um, as replacing the parameter. It doesn't mean there is no parameter, by the way, but but effectively the formal legacy cyber um, defense concepts were designed around this big firewall wall that you have around your systems. But now, you know, moving to clouds and mobile and and different uh, data centers, you don't really have that wall. And, and so it, it's almost impossible now to keep defending a wall that's just not there. Um, and you know a single um, malicious actor getting a, a malware into one of your devices now uh, defeat that that wall, right? So the, the concept of zero trust is instead uh, around you know micro segmentation and uh, enforcement of the user identity and the device identity. So based on the user uh, and the device that they use, uh, they get access to what they're supposed to have access to in contrast to a VPN that, you know, uh, pretty much get, getting you access to the entire organization's network. This is micro segmented. So, uh, you know, the technology we use uh, in DoD is, is based on software defined uh, parameter, which is uh, a concept of, you know, micro segmentation around uh, what we call a segment of one. That means effectively each connectivity, each device and user pair based on the component risk of the device uh, state and the user identity and role-based access control and, and the user identity uh, in the organization uh, get access to what they're supposed to have access to based on that component risk of the device versus the user. So me connecting with a government device versus me connecting with a personal device or a device that's not patched or, or a different user connecting with a different government device uh, effectively gets a different, completely, completely different micro-segmented network with an inability to even scan a network and see what else is there because it's effectively, a, it's, it's using, you know, uh, modern software-defined networking principles to isolate and, and create a completely segmented network. And so that, that reduced the ability of a, of a malicious actor, right, to laterally move across the system and get to the controls that the user and the device don't have access to. And it's, it's really doing a, a much better, more granular enforcement of, of access control and, and implementation of uh, attribute-based access control, ABAC, uh, on top of RBAC for basic roles. But you can you can go down to the data level and, and, and say, you know, uh, the who may be TSSCI, but the, the what is, you know, secret rel. And based on who you are and the access you get, you only get to see what you're supposed to see. And, and you don't get to see the that other cell in your data data scheme. So, so there's a lot of, you know, very granular, powerful, 
aspect of mitigation of lateral movement and and and, and that's what we use you know in in the air force and space force and we we created the, the largest implementation of zero trust in the in the u.s government about uh 18 months ago no it's a it's 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 very neat and it is very unique because the, you again the way that we interact with our devices, our computational devices, our data stores, data lakes, data you know components from there is become so diversified. So, you know, just for some of our some of our listeners that are aerospace and defense, if you look at how we in the past have tried to secure you, it, it's been put the firewall around you, put antivirus on your device, or put antivirus on your device, give you a multi-factor authentication login and stuff from there, and you know, voila, we've got security and stuff there. But we've found that that's not enough, right? Nor does it really lend itself to the new uh, use cases that we have out there. We're in a world of Internet of Things or connected devices. And so when we look at things like where do you want, um, uh, where do you want uh, gain access to the resources you need? Well, it's through a device, right? That device should have attributes that should be recognized by other devices or even other endpoints that you're trying to connect to. And so in that case, you may have a, a tag. You may also have things like looking at your current security posture in that case to decide whether you are allowed to uh, enter or converse with that particular uh, server or so. So, you know, the idea is this, is that let's say you have a sensor that's sitting out on a, on a launch pad, right? That sensor needs to speak to an application or so in order to make it run. That application can be in a data center or whichever. Well, that device needs to have some attribute from it that would be recognized by either that application or a controlling, you know, or a controlling or, or broker in that case, right? Uh, from there, as you go through as far as the software and stuff, can you interact with this part of the software or that part of the software? Uh, you then have another decision point of, yes, it can talk to this, but it can't talk to it from an administrative standpoint. It can only be a user or it can only gain information that's actually sent to it, but it can't uh, either receive or send. So you're making decisions that are logical within that, you know, within that security and that perimeter, right? What it's doing again you're removing just the wall that used to be there that was complicated to get turned off and now you're just saying to each one of those endpoints hey you need to have these items you need to have this user and you need to have um this way of connecting and communicating in order for us to accept you right and then those are things that can be can make decisions based on either time it can be based on a security architecture or security uh, parameter that's been set um, but it allows you with more fluid communications, but also more secure because now you're looking for multiple attributes and stuff too that's, just, that's, that's, uh, that's associated with it. So these things, as we look at things like zero trust and zero trust networking, as far as being able to say, hey, I'm not accepting you unless you have these things <laughs> associated with you and I can recognize you from something that's been previously configured. This is what's kind of pushing our way down the future and allows us to really interact with our physical world as well as with our software world of the future there too. So you can correct me if I'm wrong there, <laughs> Nicholas. No, no, you're, you're spot on. Yeah. Okay. Um, now, when we look at kind of the, you know, next explosion, I think we're on short time here now, but uh, as far as the, the, the next steps and stuff that you see out there, you know, we do a call to action with every one of our podcasts. What are some of the things that you see are just absolutely important at this point uh, for both us from a citizenry standpoint to get involved with, 
but also for the DOD to begin kind of, uh, you know, evolving to a better way of doing business. I'm going to stop right there and just let you kind of call those out. Yeah, I think, you know, first we need to stop being complacent and we need to understand that, that China is, is really uh, an exist, creating an existential threat to uh, the nation and, and the future of our kids and, and that we are running out of time and we need to take action now before it is too late because the the velocity of AI and the, the, the volume of data they got access to and the access to uh, their uh, Chinese companies and, and of course hacking into the, the US companies as well give them a, a very strong advantage that um, uh, obviously is going to be tough to compete with. So I think what's very important to keep in mind is that um, we need to stop overclassifying all the threat we see coming on from, from China and Russia so we can raise awareness so we have companies winning and eager to come and partner with the DoD to solve this because we have great, what people don't understand is we have great U.S. companies leading in AI, for example, but the U.S. government and DoD in particular has, have no access to it. Um, so uh, we need to solve that and we need to um, make sure that uh, companies understand and, and, and employees of these companies understand why this matters and, and that they want they want to participate and help us uh, fight that fight and, and win it. Uh, and, and we need to start being you know, um, complacent uh, with China and, and calling them a near-peer adversary when they are a peer, if not leading in many of the most critical domains. Um, the next wars are not going to be against uh, you know, uh, camels, it's going to be against uh, uh, very advanced weapons. And um, uh, we're not going to have the luxury of time to aggregate in, Aj in Asia and go defend Taiwan. And, and so, you know, autonomous capabilities, leaner, smarter, right? For people that have not read the book, The, the Kill Chain, right? I think it's it's a very uh, critical book for, for everybody to read because it, it does a very um, incredible job of describing what are the problems, but also what are the solutions as well. So I think that's really my call to action is, is you know, we need help. We need your help. We need to, uh, to wake up uh, before it is too late. We're down here on the Space Coast, uh, right down from Cape Canaveral, and uh, we've got some very large, both, both you know, um, Space Force and uh, former Air Force Space Command uh, type activities down here in, in the in Defense Industrial Base. So I, I thank you for coming on and, and really uh, uh, going through these areas and stuff with us. This is definitely going to be valuable to our listeners. Awesome. No, that's great. I love right. it. All right. Thank you. All I'll right. Thank you, you so much. Bye-bye. That's all for this episode of The Lojo Show. Thank you so much to Nicholas for coming on today. I hope our conversation was as educational and interesting for you as it was for us. Be sure to check the show notes. And if you want to come on the show, you can send us a message on any social media platform or on our website at blackingetech.com. With that, we will say goodbye. Have a great week. Stay safe and stay secure. Hey, everybody, this is Jonathan again. Thanks for sticking around after the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Just wanted to let you know that we're planning a Q&A episode for Christmas. So if you have any questions for Lovature um, about cybersecurity or any of the topics that we've talked about, please add us on social media or send us an email. We'd love to hear from you. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider giving us a like and follow our social media handles. It really helps us reach out and find more listeners. If you want to be on the show or know someone that you would like us to invite on the show, uh, send us a DM, add us on social media, send us an email. We'd love to hear from you and love to have you on.
Also just wanted to say that we are now on Pandora and iTunes, so we are on every major uh, streaming platform, podcast streaming platform. So now you can listen however you want. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Lojo Show.